Hi, everybody. Welcome back to episode 17 of the Catholics Against Militarism podcast. I'm really excited to have back as my guest today, E. Michael Jones, editor of Culture Wars magazine. Welcome back, Dr. Jones. Thank you, Ellen. Good to be back. Great to have you. Um, so today we're going to be talking a little bit about the movie that came out. It, it played across the country last night called The Divine Plan. And it was about um, the it was about Pope St. John Paul II and Ronald Reagan uh, during the Cold War. And it reminded me of a quote that you said in the last the last time I had you on as a guest for the podcast. And what you said was, after World War II, we had the anti-communist crusade. And basically the CIA went out of its way to recruit Catholic clerics because they knew the Catholic Church was against communism. And the culmination of this was Pope John Paul II working with Ronald Reagan to overturn the Soviet Union. This had a devastating effect on the Catholic Church because it made the Catholic Church too close to the American Empire. So when I saw that this movie was coming out, I thought it would be awesome if you could go see it and I could go see it. Um, and then we could talk about it because I knew that you'd have a lot to say about it. And I knew I would want your take on it. So we both saw it last night and I'm eager to talk about it with you today. Um, so I'll just jump right in. What did you think? Yeah, about thank you for bringing it to my attention. So I watched the movie and I'm walking out feeling uh, dissatisfied. Wonder why am I so unhappy with such an uplifting movie? And then I thought, well, they should have put it out in 1989. They should have brought this movie out in 1989 and we all would have walked out of the theater with a warm feeling in our hearts and we would have looked forward to a beautiful future, a future of peace and prosperity and freedom. The word that kept being used there, freedom and all of these nice things. And we're walking out of the theater, my wife and I were thinking, why do we feel so unhappy? Well, because that movie, uh, that, that alliance that was celebrated in that movie did not lead to any of those things. And then the question is, well, why did that not happen? Was there any indication here whatsoever that uh, it was going to turn out badly? I mean, history was going to turn out badly. And the only indication in the movie was uh, 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 the sinister figure, Vladimir Putin. Mm-hmm who was basically, we, we didn't say it quite that way, but basically it was all wrecked by Vladimir Putin. Well, I thought, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> Where have I heard this story before? And so I went back and I thought, well, what was the main achievement of the movie? I mean, basically, what was the main, Gorbachev and, and Reagan come together and what was their main achievement? Well, they, they limited ballistic missiles. The Strategic Arms uh, Limitation Treaty. They signed it. It was proof that logos and reason and dialogue could triumph over fear and, and, and the Cold War and all that other type of stuff. Well, wait a minute. Did Vladimir Putin uh, violate that treaty? Did he reject that treaty? Well, no, it wasn't. Who did it? Well, it was George Bush. George W. Bush, the son of George H.W. Bush. And so it turns out that the, the villain here is on camera, but he's not identified as the villain. The villain here is George H.W. Bush. It's the Bush family. And what happened to this whole detente after it happened, George H.W. Bush promised Gorbachev 
that the United States would not move NATO one inch eastward. Well, he lied. And not only did he lie, this was the opening shot in a war that almost destroyed Russia. Russia went into a tailspin after they signed this, these agreements with the United States. The United States ruthlessly exploited Russian goodwill. The United States sent a, a delegation of Jews over to Russia, and they looted the country. Wait, they looted when was the this? country. When was this? Uh, the mid-90s. Uh, I'm talking. Who am I talking about? Jeffrey Sachs was the head of the Harvard Development Corporation. Larry Summers was president of Harvard University at this point. Uh, Jeffrey Sachs brought a group of people over there. They signed covenants with the State Department saying that they would not personally uh, profit from any of these agreements, and they violated every single covenant they made. They created the Russian oligarchs. They looted the, the, the resources of the so, former Soviet Union. That money all got shipped off to Wall Street, uh, the big, uh, made the big stock market boom at that time. And Larry Summers ended up paying the largest fine that Harvard University ever paid in its history. Millions and millions of dollars because of their violation of the covenant they made with the State Department. That's the reality of this situation. That's a sad story. That's a really sad story. And I think, so I think the beginning of this problem, the beginning of the problem here is that they're not honest. They're not honest about what was happening here. Let's, let's go to 1979. 1979 is a crucial year in this chronology. Okay, so 1979 is when Pope John Paul II shows up in Warsaw. And he says mass in front of a million people in Warsaw. And and he's, what is been, he's been pope since 1978, right? He became, he's been pope for one year. So this is his first time back in Poland. Okay. Okay, so this is huge. This is an officially communist, materialist, atheist country now, which has a huge Catholic population. And apparently you just can't suppress this. You can't suppress this religion all of this religion comes out in some huge outburst of piety at that uh, in June of, of 1979. Okay, now Ronald Reagan is watching television. This is part of the movie, and Ronald Reagan is inspired by this and says, "We got to contact with this guy. We're going to work together." Okay, and then the movie begins from there, and then you end up with, "Well, why did it all go bad? Why are we? Why are we now closer?" to nuclear war with Russia than we have been since the Cuban Missile Crisis. Mm -hmm. Why did that happen? Was it Vladimir Putin? No. Well, what are we leaving out here? Well, part of the story we're leaving out is what else happened in 1979? The Ayatollah Khomeini came to power in February of 1979. Mm -hmm. In November of 1979, Students took the uh, American embassy uh, employees hostage at the embassy. Mm -hmm. Now, what happened at that point? Most people don't know what happened at that point. I read the story. I've written this, about this story. The leader of the student occupying forces wrote a memoir. 
she was also, she had been grown up in Philadelphia. She spoke fluent English and she was the spokesman for the students. And she said, we were planning to do it for three days. It lasted 444 days. Why was that? She said, we kept getting messages from the Supreme Leader to keep the hostage crisis going. Why, where, why, were, why was the Supreme Leader giving these messages out? Because George W. Bush, George H. W. Bush, had bribed the Ayatollah Khomeini to prolong the hostage crisis. Wow. Okay. For what purpose? To drive Jimmy Carter from office, to embarrass Jimmy Carter so that Ronald Reagan would be elected in 1980. Okay. This story came out. She adverted to it in her memoir. She said, and I heard rumors George of this. George H.W. Bush was the head of the CIA at the, at the time? No, he was head of the CIA during the 1970s. Okay. When this was all going on, what was his position? He was uh, soon to be the vice president of the United States of America under Ronald Reagan. So he was on the, Ra on the Reagan ticket or heading toward the Reagan ticket. Okay. So he basically used this to um, get Reagan into office. Okay, that's part of the story. That was missing. Why is that missing? Well, the point here is if you bring up what happened in Iran, then you bring up the whole history of the CIA and their involvement in overthrowing Mossadegh in 1953. And suddenly it's not, wait a minute, I thought the United States was a champion of freedom. Well, no, once you bring this part into the story, you have a whole backstory about how the CIA is using psychological warfare basically to overthrow democratically elected leaders like Mossadegh and establish the, the uh, uh, put in puppets like the Shah so that they can uh, basically surround the Soviet Union and, and prosecute the Cold War. Mm -hmm. So once, once you add this to it, it's, it's suddenly, now it becomes a little bit clearer why things turned out badly. If you want the best explanation or the main villain here, it's George H.W. Bush. I was, I don't, yeah, I, yeah, it was, it was this, uh, the, the tagline of the movie is faith is freedom. <laughs> like totally conflating religious faith with like this idea of, you know, freedom. Um, and it was very good versus evil, right? And on the good, on the evil side, you have the Soviet Union and you have communism. And on the other side, you have, uh, John Paul II, Ronald Reagan, and the CIA, and Bill Casey, who they brag about as being this Catholic who is on the verge of retiring, and then he comes out of retirement to come back for his final like Eagle Scout project to defeat the Soviet Union, and um, these these are it's, and and they portray absolutely nothing of of the dark side of the CIA and how the three of these work together and. I was I was actually pretty surprised that the CIA was in constant contact with John Paul II. Um, it sounded like on a weekly basis there were memos and letters going between the Vatican and the CIA. I actually didn't know that. I was pretty surprised um, to find that out. Um, but yeah, the whole thing was just very much. Um, it remind, reminded me of that anti-war song, "God Is on Our Side." Um, it was just so obvious that, you know, and the whole thing, even the title, The Divine Plan, was like, um, you know, John Paul survived the shooting and Reagan survived the, his shooting. And this was a miracle by God to bring these two together just to defeat the Soviet 
union. Right. I, I, I thought it was just like pure propaganda. And then the way that they worked in Putin, um, they kind of dropped him into the middle of the movie and said, you know, he he was probably in the KGB and they tied to they tried to tie the shooting of JP2 to Russia. And then at the end of the movie, they bring it back around and they remind us that that was only round one of the Cold War. And now people of faith have to prepare for round two. Um, so it was just pure propaganda against Putin and against Russia, in my yeah. opinion. So what's the problem with Russia now? They're not communists anymore. They are a Christian country. What's, what's the problem here? I don't get it. This is the whole point of now Donald Trump. Why is Donald Trump in trouble? Because he wouldn't go to war with Russia. He wanted to make peace with Russia and the deep state, uh, the military industrial complex don't like, they don't like that idea. And so therefore we have, we have this problem. But, the, right. I, you can, but the, the whole point of this movie is to make American Catholics feel good about being Americans because you had this perfect alignment between the secular power of America and the, the spiritual power of the Catholic Church. And so there's no conflict between being a Catholic and an American. This is, look at Bill Casey. You can be the head of the CIA and be a good Catholic at the same time. That's the illusion that this movie uh, tries to generate. And so it's like a an exercise in nostalgia mm -hmm. for baby boomers like me who lived through the thing. I lived through a lot of these uh, these different uh, ex experiences. Right. And another thing that they said, too, I and mean, there are so many things that were just, they just seemed like such lies or half-truths. They were celebrating the fact that, you know, communism was defeated without there ever being a shot fired, um, without any violence. Um, and if you pay attention to what was going on, what the CIA was doing in, you know, South America in the 80s, like the Cold War wasn't, as they say, it wasn't so cold. You know, there was plenty of violence. There was plenty of war. There was plenty of subterfuge and um, murder, assassination, um, all, uh, drug trafficking. I mean, spying, blackmail, all kinds of evil things were going on that the CIA was doing during the Cold War. But this movie doesn't pay attention to any of that. Um, they just, they pretend like it was just this spiritual power that defeated the Soviet Union. And by the way, wasn't it really the Soviet Union's economic troubles that brought them down anyway? I mean, the real the real uh, story of the, the Soviet Union uh, also began. The final act began in 1979 as well. Uh, Zbigniew Brzezinski, who showed up in the movie, was Carter's security advisor, and then he had a position under Reagan as well. He bragged in an interview in a French uh, newspaper that. He lured the Soviets into Afghanistan uh, in order to get pay them back for our defeat in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. So he lured them in there, and then they started fighting the war against the Soviets using proxy warriors. Uh, basically, Mujahideen, they were called the Mujahideen, or holy warriors, who were recruited uh, through the madrasas in Pakistan and then sent into Afghanistan with, with uh, weapons provided by the CIA. So this was like, this uh, was the, they claim, the, the thing that brought down the Soviet Union. The defeat of the uh, Soviet Union in Afghanistan was the beginning of the end. The other part that is not mentioned usually in this is that the, the Saudis were involved in both parts of this, but 
the Saudis were told to pump a maximal amount of oil. That drove the price of the global price of oil down because they have such a big share in the market. And that bankrupted the Soviet Union because they did not have the oil revenues they had uh, together. So it was a combination of psychological uh, warfare, hot warfare in Afghanistan with the Mujahideen as the proxy warriors, mm -hmm. and also psychological warfare in, in Poland. So basically the reason that Poland could get away with what they did was because the Soviets were tied down in Afghanistan. Mm. So it wasn't just persuasion. It wasn't just friendly persuasion. It was warfare. Uh, as warfare get, got waged at that time uh, in, the, in the 20th century. Mm. And then, yeah, they say in the movie that the CIA basically funded the Solidarity, solidarity Movement in, in Poland. Right. And I, 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 I knew about this because uh, in, in 1988, I went, to the, I went to Rome and met with uh, Frank Shakespeare who was the American ambassador to the Vatican at that point. And uh, I, I, I actually, I was asking about uh, Medjugorje. I don't know whether you know about Medjugorje. It's the, this phony apparition in Bosnia. I was doing a book on that at the time. Mm -hmm. So I said, uh, did, the, did the CIA, was the CIA, CIA behind Medjugorje? And he said to me, I can't answer that question. But this is the kind of thing we would support. And so it was clear to me that Medjugorje was to Yugoslavia what solidarity was to Poland. In other words, you're promoting a Catholic movement uh, with uh, geopolitical goals uh, in mind. And th that's, that's what happened. That's, so Shakespeare was there when uh, Reagan met with Pope John Paul II the first time. He was there. Pardon me? What did you say? Who was there? Frank Shakespeare. Oh, okay. He was the ambassador. Okay. He was, he was there. He wasn't. In the, he was in the room before they went in and spoke privately to each other. Mm. And then he told me that uh, afterwards Reagan came out and Frank Shakespeare said, if, "If there's anything you want me to know about your conversation, then feel free to tell me, and I will. It won't go past me." And that's when Reagan told Shakespeare that they were going to have this alliance that was going to bring down communism. So the press, the question is, what price are you willing to pay? This is the question you have to ask the Pope. You know, I know you don't like communism. You're now working with uh, someone you know does not have clean hands, okay? You like Reagan, but Reagan's not the, the full story here. You're getting in bed with the CIA. You know what they're involved in. What price are you willing to pay in order to bring this about? Mm -hmm. And I think that by the end of his life, John Paul II felt betrayed and disillusioned because of his uh, collaboration with the United States, primarily because of what happened to Poland after the fall of communism, how they rushed into the materialism of the Western kind without the, 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 the spiritual revival that he was hoping for. Mm. Interesting. Um, yeah, it, it was interesting that they said that he was pre presented a Medal of Freedom at the end of his life by George W. Bush. Yeah, H.W. George H.W. Oh, I thought it was the younger one. But, no, maybe you're uh, right. No, you're right. You're right. It, it was George W. Bush. I'm sorry. Yeah. 
um, I just wonder how you felt about receiving that, you know, um, but you seem it was, to. It was hard to tell because he was he was kind of ravaged by Parkinson's disease. Yeah. So he had a very expressive face. But by this time, you couldn't really tell what he was thinking by looking at his face. And he yeah. didn't say anything. I made the mistake of, of reading a book, another book, before I went to see the movie um, called The Improbable Triumvirate. Have you ever heard of that one? No. It's about, it's written by a guy who was, um, it's about the the work, the partnership between Nikita Khrushchev, John Kennedy, and um, John Paul XXIII. And it was written no, John by... The 20, John the Twenty-Third. John the Twenty-Third. sorry. Yeah, and it was written by a guy who was like the unofficial ambassador from the Vatican to um, Moscow and the and the Cuban Missile Crisis and the way how basically the way the Pope intervened in that crisis and was in communication with Nikita Khrushchev and um, John Kennedy and the three of them were all working together to achieve peace and to prevent war and it's just a really inspiring story um, that was the next year that happened in October of 1962 I think. And then, you know, the next year in April, um, Pacham Antares came out. He published that great encyclical on world peace, peace on earth. And then it was that following June when John Kennedy gave his address at American University, basically extending a hand to the Russians and trying to work these things out. It was that September that they finally, through a lot of work, got uh, what was the treaty that got passed that September right before he got killed? Um, it was the, the, um, nuclear test ban treaty. Yeah. Um, and they got it passed and they said it. So there was like actual progress happening toward peace. And this was in the early sixties. And to me, if you're going to talk about a moment of hope during the cold war, a moment when like peace was possible, I mean, you have to address this, this beautiful thing that was happening between enemies when enemies were working together to try to save the world from nuclear annihilation. Um, and of course, then JFK was was murdered by our own government. I think we all know that by now. The CIA <laughs> took him out um, because so because he was going to put these people out of work. I think that was the motive here. I think it's exactly the same thing with Donald Trump. Whenever I, they feel whenever they feel that their livelihood is threatened uh, by someone who has power, which the president of the United States certainly has. They have to do something. And in Kennedy's case, they murdered him. I think it's clear. I think right. it's clear. And I think the other thing that we have to understand is Christianity allowed for uh, a realistic, uh, realistic negotiations that would lead to peace. Christianity has that possibility. It has a kind of realism and it has a, a transcendent view of life that allows that. It allows people who are seemingly opposites to come together on some type of of mutually shared ground, or logos is what I would call it. But it was killed. I mean, let's be honest here. It was murdered by the, he was murdered by the people who were afraid that they'd lose their jobs if America declared an end to the Cold War. Right, yeah. And and so it's like, it's just, it's kind of disgusting to me. I, I left the theater feeling the same way you did. I mean, I just was so angry because I'm like, why are we lionizing, you know, Reagan and the CIA. Reagan, to me, seems like he was just a, an actor who was under the control of other people who were telling him what to do. He was playing a part. 
And then you have you have a real Catholic, John Kennedy. He was a sinner. He wasn't a great person. Um, you know, he 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 did a lot of things wrong, but he was a cold warrior that turned to peace and really tried to do something. He reached out to his enemy. He tried. He he wasn't trying to defeat the enemy. He was trying to make peace with the enemy. Um, and the and 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 John the twenty third was working with them. So why are we celebrating this moment? You know, twenty five years later. I mean, we could have prevented that whole thing that was going on in the eighties anyway if we would have let John Kennedy live and carry out his plans. Um, you know, to reduce you know nuclear weapons and to and to get on friendly terms with Russia as much as or the Soviet Union as much as possible. It, it's just such it's such a shame that that whole era of history is just completely by ignored by Catholics or they don't know about it. But we're going to celebrate what happened in the eighties, and and the CIA is going to be the big hero of this story. Yeah, it makes me mad. <laughs> I felt the same way. I felt really dissatisfied and unhappy after I watched the movie. Because yeah. it doesn't it doesn't allow you to understand the present at all. If the no. present is completely mystified, and the only, as I said before, the only attempt they make is to blame everything on Putin, which is preposterous. And, and Putin, Putin saved Russia from the looters. Russia was on its last legs. The people, the population went down in Russia during this period of time. That's a catastrophe. Whenever a population goes down, it's a serious catastrophe. And so what you ha what you see here. Or all these missed opportunities. Mm -hmm. I mean, so so I remember when the uh, Berlin Wall came down, and suddenly people are talking about a peace dividend. And then there are people talking about, well, maybe we don't need NATO anymore. Well, we don't need NATO anymore. So why did you suddenly now extend NATO all the way from Berlin up to the Ukraine? And now you've, you're trying to steal the Ukraine from Russia. Who's the villain here? Who's the villain? It's the it's America. America is the evil empire. This is the phrase that was made famous by Ronald Reagan when he referred to the Soviet Union. America is the evil empire now. It's obvious. It's obvious. Why are you get, treating us to these fairy tales that obscure this fact rather than giving us a history that will explain that fact? Why are you doing this? Yeah, I, I love the quote in the movie when it said that Reagan said Reagan figured out that the Soviet Union was a kingdom of lies and secrecy and the KGB was corrupt. And it reminds me of when you talk about Putin and, and you know, Trump trying to extend, you know, some kind trying to be something, something of friends with Russia, work with them instead of against them. And everyone always says, oh, but Putin was a KGB officer. And it's like, well, what do you think? George H.W. Bush was, I mean, he, he was the head of the CIA. So are we saying there's like a massive difference between the KGB and the CIA? I mean, what's the big, what's the difference? What is, is do you think there's a difference? Of course there's a difference. What's the difference? The difference is that uh, one, one is supposed to be good and the other is supposed to be bad. But uh, that's only the fiction created by this movie. Right. Okay, that, that, that's, the, that, that's the problem here. The problem, I think the problem begins because you're eliminating certain things from 1979. You're not giving us a full history because I think there, it was a, an annus mirabilis, to use the Latin term. It was a remarkable year. But they're leaving out half the story because what I'm saying happened in 1979 is you had a, a twin insurrection against materialism. 
So you had the, the, the Poles. Yeah, that's right. The Poles were rising up against Marxist Soviet materialism. That's absolutely true. But the Iranians were rising up against American uh, uh, materialism mm -hmm. uh, under the Shah. And if you leave that out of the equation, you, un you don't understand the spiritual signif significance of 1979. Because I think 1979, God was working in human history. And I think most people misunderstood what was going on. Michel Foucault, the, the uh, homosexual uh, philosopher from France, the revolutionary, went to Tehran thinking it was going to be a replay of the French Revolution. I mean, he was, he was a sadomasochist, so I think he liked the, a lot of the violence that was going on. But it turns out it was the opposite of what he thought it was, because it was a, a, a resurrection of spiritual values after a materialistic uh, regime. Mm. <clears throat> and, and, and that's, you know, history didn't stop there. There's lots of problems that we could talk about in so far as the Ayatollah Khomeini resurrected Islamic fundamentalism. He resurrected, I mean, for Iran, mm -hmm. he uh, had uh, Syed Qutb was the, uh, uh, the founder, one of the founders of the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt. He died in jail in Egypt after an insurrection against, uh, I, I believe it was uh, Nasser, um, or it could have been Amwar Sadat, I forget which one. But uh, the Ayatollah Khomeini had this book translated into Farsi and used it to weaponize the population, even though Persia is completely different than uh, Saudi Arabia. They're completely different cultures, you know, and the Saudis, the Arabs, not the Saudis, the Arabs conquered Persia and they imposed Islam on them by force. And it's never worked. It's, it's never it's never fit. That's what Shia Islam is. It's basically a protest against Arab the Arabic conquest. So this is all part of the the mix of human history that keeps going on at this point, and none of it can be explained by this mythology that that we're given. Right. If we if we were so wonderful, why is the world such a mess? Because we're in charge of the world, aren't we? Right. Aren't right. we, so aren't we responsible for the mess? If the American empire is basically rules the world and the world's in a mess, America's responsible for it. How is that possible? Given noble people like Ronald Reagan and he worked with the Pope. Well, that's not, that needs to be integrated into a broader narrative. Yes, exactly. That's, that's, that's what I, yes. Thank you for that. You're putting into words what I want to say, but I don't know how to. Um, you know, last time you were on the show, you gave me a really good, some really good insight into Michael Novak and who he is, because I just didn't understand why these Catholics were advocating for these wars. So uh, another guy that I see popping up a lot of times is this George Weigel. Right. So can you give me what, who is he and like, what, who does he work for and like, what's his deal? Because <laughs> I really appreciated the insight you gave me on Novak. Like, I just yeah, don't understand who these characters are. George Weigel is Michael Novak's protege. Oh, okay. Okay, oh. George, George, Michael, Michael Novak was looking for a, a protege for a while, and he came up with a guy named Terry Hall. Nobody knows who Terry Hall is, but he was his protege for a while until uh, Terry Hall took on uh, Father Brian Hare on nuclear weapons 
and just got obliterated in that debate. And at that point, well, Terry, you're not you're you're cut from the team. You know, you're going to the minor leagues. And that was the end of Terry Hall. And then they found uh, George Weigel and George Weigel did eventually become the protege. He's written this in, in a memoir and he wrote about the, you know, going to Poland uh at Pol- Michael Novak played a crucial role in Poland because right at the beginning of the 1980s, he wrote uh, the book, uh, The Spirit of Democratic Capitalism. The purpose of this book was uh, basically to attack liberation theology, which was coming out of South America at that point. But it was also meant to rehabilitate liberal economics of the, you know, the English version of economics, you know, Adam Smith, Malthus, uh, Ricardo, all these people that we think are economists and there's no one before them or after them. He was to resurrect this and to to tell, harangue the Catholics that basically you don't know anything about economics. You got to get with the plan. You got to support capitalism. And here's your chance. And it was written right in the aftermath of basically the Reagan Thatcher uh, revolution that took place. And so this helped get Catholics on board. And to this day, you can find a lot of Catholics who espouse uh, economic theories that are totally inimical to Catholic social teaching. It's that simple. So Novak wrote this book, The Spirit of Democratic Capitalism. He wrote it when he was an employee of uh, the American Enterprise Institute, which is a Zionist operation, Jewish operation, funded by uh, uh, leverage buyout money groups like the Carlisle Group, private equity firms. And then uh, the, we start agitating for reform, uh, the overthrow, using solidarity for the overthrow of uh, communism in Poland. And the book gets published in Poland, Samizdat, you know, by uh, unofficial copies get circulating. And it had a huge effect on Poland. And basically, Uh, This is part of the price that Pope John Paul II had to pay. He had to pay uh, the CIA some type of fee. And this is part of the fee. It's basically opening Poland up to this corrupt capitalist economic system, which I think he would he he, he ended up uh, regretting. So when Paul, when John Paul, uh, John Paul comes into the papacy, one of the first encyclicals he writes is Laborum Exercens. And in Laborum Exercens, he says, labor is the source of all value. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Who said that before? Karl Marx <laughs> said that. But also Adam Smith and John Locke. Well, that's because it's true. I mean, those people don't have anything in common, you know? But John Paul II said it again in Laborum Exercens. Well, this blows up capitalism. It just blows it up. And so now what they're doing is basically putting Michael Novak on the Pope's case. And the thing that allows this to happen is the anti-communist crusade. Wait, so, hold on. Go back. Um, so, like you said, uh, labor, he says labor is the source of all value. Right. And you're saying that that blows up capitalism? Yes. How, how does that happen? Okay. I wrote a book called Barren Metal, A History of Capitalism as the Conflict Between Labor and Usury. Thesis of that book is there are two options, two economic options, labor or usury. 
as the source of value. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Okay. So, so that I got the title Baron Metal comes from uh, Shakespeare's play, The Merchant of Venice. Okay. So this is the classical understanding of economics. Shakespeare got it because he was a Catholic. And so Antonio needs money. He's a Catholic. Uh, the Jew is the money lender. Uh, Shylock says, I'd like to lend you money. And Ch Antonio says, well, if it's breed of barren metal, keep it. Now, that's a direct reference to Aristotle, who said money is sterile. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. So, so then. So money is sterile. Money can't copulate. I, 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 Aquinas said you put two gold coins in a drawer and you come back six months later, all you're going to have is two gold coins. Put two mice in the drawer, you come back six years, six months later, you have the drawer will be full of mice. Money does not copulate. It's sterile. Okay. okay? But yeah. that's not what Shylock believes. So Shylock then turns to Antonio and he says, my ducats can copulate faster than Laban's ewes and rams. Well, what's he mean is ducats can copulate? He's talking about usury. He's talking about compound interest. Okay, gotcha. big money. So you've got these two options. And at the very moment that we're battling here, you have Michael Novak working for the Jews, coming out for capitalism, which is state-sponsored usury. At the same time this is happening, you have the Reagan, uh, the Reagan administration. It's not totally his fault, but basically you've got Paul Volcker at the Fred Raising interest rates. This is usury. Inter you can buy a T-bill in 1979, 80, 81. You get 20% return with no risk whatsoever. This is killing the economy. It is driving one company after another to the wall. It's the greatest recession we've had uh, of, uh, up to, since the uh, uh, Great Depression. And you've got John Paul II collaborating on this because he wants the end to communism. So how oh. much, what's the price are you going to pay? You're going, the price you're going to pay is you have to listen to Michael Novak bloviate <laughs> about capitalism yeah. at these candlelit dinners in the Vatican. And then the culmination of this is Centesimus Annus, the encyclical which comes out, uh, one, uh, the 100th anniversary of Rerum Novarum, which is the beginning of Catholic social teaching. And this is Michael Novak's great triumph because he says now the Catholic Church has finally endorsed capitalism. Well, no, Michael, it hasn't. If you read the document, it says basically, if by capitalism you mean something that accepts the moral limits of the market, then oh, capitalism is okay. If by capitalism you mean something where the moral limits are transgressed. No, it's not okay. Well, that's a conditional statement, and you've already proven that you don't respect the moral law with your capitalism, because capitalism is state-sponsored usury. That's what Pesh said. So, that's are, you what saying, so are you saying that J John Paul II like, sold out on that, or are you saying that he didn't, but other people just interpreted his words a certain way for their own... He 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 paid a price. Paid a price. He was willing to pay a price. And what, what do I mean by pay a price? He was willing to remain silent on certain issues uh, about which he probably should not have remained silent. I see. Okay. That makes sense. Because he really hated communism. Okay. We all really hated communism. Yeah. Okay. If, if someone comes to you and say, look, you really hate communism. I tell you what, 
if you shoot your wife in the head, I'll abolish communism. Are you allowed to do that? No, you can't do that. Okay. Yeah. It reminds me a lot of this quote that's always stuck with me from um, C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. And he said, if you, he said that the devil always sends errors into the world in pairs, pairs of opposites. And that this idea that he's always trying to get you to run from one evil by going into the the other one that's right. the other and, and you have to he says you have to walk straight straight between them but that right. reminds me of what you're saying about communism and capitalism it's like we all turned against communism but then we got sucked into the other evil of, right. of capitalism is that kind of like what you're saying yeah yeah what is what is catholic social teaching what's the image i'll give i can give you of catholic social teaching it's jesus christ being crucified between two thieves Oh, wow, that's really good. The left wing and the right wing, or as Father Cochran would say, the left wing and the right wing of the same bird of prey. Jesus Christ is crucified between communism and capitalism, the two thieves. Wow, I've never thought of that image before. That's really good. Um, thanks for that. I, I, I want to bring it back to the CIA because I, you mentioned something in our last interview you talked about a little bit. You, you mentioned some things I always wanted to follow up with you on it. You said um, a, f- a few things had been controlled by the CIA. Um, and so in order to kind of introduce this segment, I, I thought I would point out that I, are you aware that if you walk into the main headquarters of the CIA, they have a quote that's like inscribed either in the floor or in the wall, but it's huge when you first walk in and it says the truth will set you free. And yes. it's supposed to be, you know, a quote from John eight. Right. Um, but I've always found it infuriating. First of all, that they would have a quote from um, Jesus on their wall. But if you read the full quote in John eight thirty two, it says, um, if you remain in my word, you will become my disciples and you will know me and the truth will set you free. I just think it's kind of interesting that they leave out the whole part about Jesus and remaining right. in Jesus's word and they just have the truth will set you free. Yeah. Um, and to me, that's just a perfect that represents what they are. It's like this. They're trying to. Uh, well, yeah, it's just they're leaving out the part about remain in my word. As if, right. as if, you know what I mean? Um, right. So I wanted to bring up the CIA. I thought I had this idea of like CIA Catholicism. Like, um, I do think that the CIA exerts a lot of, you know, propaganda, psychological operations, information control. Um, and there are certain ways in which, as this movie shows, Catholicism, the Christian faith can be manipulated and used for their own ends. Right. And I think they're very good at doing that. And so um, I thought I would be, I would ask you if you could come up with a few things like you might be a CIA Catholic if, like your faith might have been shaped by these intelligence services, our massive kind of Leviathan of our empire that we live in, um, if the following things, like you might be at risk of becoming a CIA Catholic. I was wondering if you come up with a few of those. Yeah, well, if if we go back to when I was a young man, uh, you might be a CIA, uh, uh, you might be a useful idiot for the CIA <laughs> if you read Time Magazine. Yeah. Time Magazine was the propaganda ministry for the CIA. 
they worked. This is in the book I've published by David Wemhoff called uh, Time, uh, John Courtney Murray, Time, Life and the CIA. It's basically about that interconnection. There was a man by the name of C.D. Jackson who was on the payroll of the CIA and Time Life at that time. Same time, get, drawing a check from both companies. And his job was to coordinate the workings of the CIA and Time Life. And one of the main black ops that Time Life got involved in was Vatican II. And their agent was John Courtney Murray. He was working to basically subvert the church's teaching on church and state, which is basically that we, the church is to the state what the soul is to the body. We do not believe as Catholics in the separation of church and state. Okay. John Courtney's Murray, John Courtney Murray's, the Jesuits' uh, role at the Vatican II was to persuade the Catholic Church to accept, accept the separation of church and state. So that was one of the main black ops that basically turned Catholics into useful idiots for the CIA. Time magazine. I know because I read Time magazine when I, because my father subscribed to it. So as a 12-year-old, I every week I sat down and read Time magazine from cover to cover. Got uh, it. It, right. it totally dominated the mind. And to, to get back to one of our favorite people here. Uh, when Robert Bear Kaiser got uh, dumped as the reporter for Vatican II, who took his place? It was Michael Novak. And Michael Novak, this means that Michael Novak was working for the CIA to subvert the teaching of the Catholic Church. That was his job throughout his entire life. He never had another job. That's what he did. And at this point, he got started by becoming Time Life's correspondent for Vatican II and confecting this thing called the spirit of Vatican II, which meant uh, Time Life's interpretation of Vatican II, which meant the CIA interpretation of Vatican II, which meant the subversion of Vatican II. Now, was Michael Novak officially working for the CIA, or you just believe he was, like, getting paid no. under the table? Like no, I'm, I'm not making that assertion. He was officially working for Time Life. Time Life was the propaganda ministry for the CIA. Okay. Yeah. So to, to what extent he knew he knew that or to what extent you let these lower lever figures in on what you're doing to be a successful uh, operative in this, you have to be of one mind. You have to basically internalize the commands of your oppressors. And Michael Novak was good at that. He was good at betraying the church in the interest of uh, uh, Jewish oligarchs or wasp oligarchs who would pay his salary. Okay. And then another thing you mentioned in the other show was like Christian in college that the CIA was involved in the founding of certain Catholic universities. Was it just Christendom college or was it like, are there others that you believe? That well, they were I mean, I, I say that because Warren Carroll, the founder of Christendom was a CIA agent. Oh. So the question is, do you ever stop being a CIA agent? Uh, and that's, uh, I, I, I think uh, the, the answer is uh, no, not if they want you to uh, operate. And so as, as, as a result, uh, one of the things that happened during this period of time, so with the, we have the founding of Christendom by a, a member of the CIA, you have this obvious, at that time, it was easy to be a CIA Catholic because w what the movie was about, you know, Reagan and John Paul II were fighting communism. What's your problem? What's <laughs> yeah. the problem with this? Every, this is fine. This is great. And then after that, Suddenly, uh, Warren Carroll comes out with this uh, newsletter called Freedom Fighter. 
and I'm thinking, this is, this is, re I'm reading this thing, I'm thinking, gosh, this is really great stuff. And then I'm thinking, wait a minute, what the, how does Warren Carroll know anything about Angola? I mean, he's an old man living in Front Royal, Virginia. Did he mean, did he fly over to Angola? Well, I think he was getting briefed by the CIA. Still, uh, as, as president of Christendom, still producing this, uh, uh, by producing this newsletter, which was full of CIA information promoting the, the CIA fighters in Angola as opposed to the Cubans who were in Angola. So uh, that's, that's why I said that. That's why I said that. But the whole, the whole point here is that these were just symbolic figures in what came to be uh, the creation of the neoconservative Catholic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and neoconservatism had a just a bad effect on Catholicism. Just had a yeah. bad effect. You, it was a too close identification with with an American empire that was always involved in bad shit. Mm -hmm. So you you talked about the truth will set you free. Well, Mike Pompeo uh, bragged about he was head of CIA and he bragged about he said we lied, we cheated, we did that, we did all kinds of bad things. You're bragging about it, Mike. Uh, yeah. I, I'm not edified. I'm not impressed by the fact that you're bragging about this kind of stuff because we all know America's the evil empire now. America's the evil empire. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I, I would say, too, I don't know. I just feel like there's a lot of reaction uh, whenever you bring up John Kennedy. I feel like among certain Catholics, there's an immediate reaction of like, oh, he was a sinner. He was a terrible person. He was an adulterer. He was this. He was that. Do you think there was like a information war, like sort of against him to, to make everyone? I, I feel like people react that way when you bring up MLK and JFK. Um, they immediately, they, what comes to mind isn't, they aren't the great things that they did with their lives and the way they put their lives on the line, the way they worked for peace, but their adultery, their this, their that. Do you think that was just like an information war propaganda? No, I think, I think there's, I mean, first of all, even if it's true, uh, there's plenty of people that uh, do bad things and they never get uh, called on the carpet because they're useful to keep the, keep that in the closet for them. So, uh, yeah, I think it's probably true. I think that Kennedy's tragedy was that he, he thought he could be a courageous leader without uh, having leading an ascetic life. If you if you want to serve the Lord, prepare yourself for trials. And the best way to prepare yourself for trial is not uh, sleeping with uh, some woman other than your wife. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think I think but I'm saying I mean, I agree with what you said. I think that he was trying to work for peace. He was using uh, Pope John the Twenty Third as an intermediary, and he was murdered by people who did not want peace. I think I think that's clear, no matter what the official statement is. Yeah, I think so too. And I, I just kind of feel like there's been this major like propaganda against him to so that that's what people remember instead of you know selective memory about these things. Um, you mentioned in the other one, Father Peyton's Rosary, that his. That, that he was somehow info working with the CIA or something. Yeah. Is that true? Yeah, he was being paid by the CIA. So it was uh, the Rosary Crusade, the family, the praise together, stays together. Yeah. They 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 used this to to uh, get Catholics on board with the anti-communist crusade. That's the tragedy of uh, Catholic Catholic life here. So the Catholics, the 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 one, the CIA is recruiting them as part of the anti-communist crusade. And yet at the same time, the government is destroying their neighborhoods and driving them into the suburbs. 
and basically uh, destroying the fabric of Catholic life in the United States. Yeah, I think, I think Michael Novak knew that. I think he knew that. And I think it came out in the I think the only honest book Michael Novak ever wrote, which was The Rise of the Unmeldable Ethnics, which was in the mid 70s at the time of the ethnic revival, when the great shift was taking place, uh, when Ke that Kevin Phillips uh, predicted when uh, Nixon and those people moved large numbers of Catholics out of the Democratic Party as soon as the party came out in favor of abortion and moved them into the Republican Party. And those group of people, that group of people elected Richard Nixon, and then they elected Ronald Reagan. And then they, they found a champion in, in uh, Pat Buchanan, who did not get elected. And I think the same group of people, we're talking about their children now, but I mean, that, that group of people uh, w also went for Donald Trump. That's mm -hmm. a segment that people are trying to name. You know, so Nixon came up with, uh, you know, the silent majority. Yeah. And then Jerry Fowler came up with the moral majority. And then uh, uh, Hillary Clinton called them a basket of deplorables. <laughs> right. So, I mean, it's, it's basically people who, who are trying to identify what I think is essentially a Catholic group. Their, their, their right to life, their worker, their laborers, I mean, union members, stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, they, they swing the election. And and uh, they are the enemy now. They are the enemy now. Largely, uh, they've always been the enemy. And and mm -hmm. and so you're trying to re <coughs> recruit these people and exploit them and betray them at the same time. That's great. That's CIA stuff. That's CIA yeah. stuff. CIA stuff. Um, what do you think about like Opus Dei? Are they con are they involved with the CIA? Are they controlled by, founded by? I feel like there's some kind of overlap <laughs> there. Um, I um. Oh, oh, okay. One of the main problems with Opus Dei <clears throat> is that you've—it's a worldwide organization uh, where you've got Americans promoting uh, a regime. They're loyal to the regime in America, which is antithetical to the good of the rest of the world, and so you run the danger of lack of unity in this organization. Now, it's it, what what they do is basically export a kind of Americanism. So you talk to you know, Spaniards, let's say, who are in Opus Dei, it's a Spanish operation, and they talk, they start talking like, they sound like neoconservatives, you know? They're still living in the past because, I mean, let's face it, communism was a real issue in Spain, okay? Monsignor Escrivá grew up in the middle of the Spanish Civil War. It was a reality for him. They understand the problem with communism, and they don't like it. But does that mean you have to like America? You know, it, it, does that mean you have to get in bed with the enemy of your enemy? And if you do, what are the consequences that will follow? So you, you hate communism. So now for now, therefore, you're signing on with gay marriage, right? Because America is now promoting gay marriage. Well, wait a minute. I, where, how is that possible? How can you still have this type of allegiance? That's the problem with uh, Opus Dei. You got you got an, uh, the Opus Dei in America came into being in America at the time of the, the high watermark of the anti-communist crusade. And everything was fine because they love this kind of Americanism where your country is perfectly compatible with your religion. Well, what happens when it isn't? Then what do you do? Well, then you're in trouble. And I'm saying that's the crisis in Opus Dei right now. How do you disconnect from the American empire when the American empire is now the evil empire and the great Satan?
How do you disconnect? And that problem is especially acute if you go to Washington because there are lots of open state people that work for the government. Mm -hmm. uh, so who are you working for? You're working for, the, uh, is it God or mammon? You know, th these are problems that they, they have to confront and they can't confront, the, the fact that they can't confront them, uh, I think is the reason for this film. We want to just go back and forget all, let's just bathe in nostalgia here. Let's just go back to the oldies but goodies. Let's play those oldies but goodies on the, and remember the time when, when you were young and driving and, and all that type of stuff. It's a, it's a blatant, a blatant exploitation of nostalgia here. Yeah. Uh, for the time when the, when the, when the United States government and the Catholic church were involved in the same battle. Yeah. And when we could see ourselves as innocent and the, the good guys and fighting, you know, all that stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, all that the whole narrative relies on only telling part of the story and leaving out a huge chunk of the past right. and of reality. Um, all right, well, that's probably enough about the CIA. I just had those questions for you. Can I ask you a few random questions like last time? Sure. Unless there's any more you want to say about the movie. No. Okay. Um, who's your patron saint? St. Michael. Oh, okay. Next question. <laughs> Um, 9-11, inside job or no? <laughs> Are you trying to get me in trouble here? Are you I trying to get me in trouble? I don't know what you think. I just want to know what you think. I mean, you, I mean, come on, you have to have an opinion on that. Like, yeah, it, I think I've never I, heard you talk about it. It was, a, it was an inside job. Yes. All right. Next question. Um, are you in the CIA? <laughs> yes, I'm a rogue CIA agent. <laughs> I think you could be. Like you're pretty mysterious. Like actually, I was in, I was in, I was in Mashhad, and there were CIA agents there. Phil Giraldi was there. Mike Maloof is in the DIA, but a, a bunch of people there. And I said there, I said, I think I speak for everyone in this room. And I looked at the CIA guys and I said, what we want is a return from the American empire back to the American Republic. And nobody objected. So if you're asking me if I'm in the CIA, all I can say is if I tell you the truth, I have to kill you. Okay. <laughs> all right. I'm just saying there is such a thing as controlled opposition. Do you think I'm controlled opposition? I think you could be. I don't know. I don't know. Like, you're just kind of like. Explain that to me. How am I controlled opposition? Well, you, you pretend to speak out against the empire, but like, maybe you're, I don't know. Maybe it's all just like a, a psyop, you know? I mean, I don't know. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> no, I don't think you are, actually. Um, but I am kind of confused about like, so you've made your living like creating a magazine? <laughs> like, 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 <laughs> yes honey yes i did i did i've done it for almost 40 years by the grace of god and the generosity of people that put their pennies together and buy this magazine yes generosity of the cia maybe or pardon me <laughs> i'm just kidding i'm joking um i said the ge generosity of the cia um I will state categorically, I have never gotten a penny from the CIA. I'll, I'll go even farther than that. I'm going to tell you something. Yeah. When I sent the information, Freedom of Information Act request to the CIA and I asked them for all of their documents on Medjugorje, 
So I got back 20 pages of documents and 19 and three quarters of them were blacked out. And then they send me a bill, a bill for $150. And I wrote back to him. I said, if you think I'm going to pay you $150 for this piece of crap, you're crazy. I am. So I stiffed. I stiffed the CIA for $150 and I have lived to tell the tale. Now, if, if, if a drone takes out my uh, the South, South Bend, Indiana headquarters of Fidelity Magazine tomorrow, you will know why. <laughs> All right. Speaking of that, how much was your movie ticket? Um, it was, uh, I think it was $23 for two tickets. All right. Well, I'll send you a check because I feel bad that you went to watch that. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. It, it's tax deductible if you send it to me. All right. Great. Um. So you've already talked about Putin. I was going to ask you what you think about him. Uh, what are your thoughts on just war theory? I ask everybody who comes on my podcast about just war theory. Do you have any like succinct like opinions on that, or is it? Yes, it's a good thing. I agree with it. Oh, you do? Why? Because it's logos applied to warfare. It is it is uh, uh, the epitome of civilization to be able to apply logos to every form of life, including warfare which means there's certain things that are sinful and immoral, even if they're committed in war. War is not an excuse to abandon moral behavior. This was the great, um, it began with the knights, you know, with the Christianization of the warrior, and it extended all the way up to uh, the present day. But then somehow we got derailed and we got involved in all sorts of ugly uh, things like uh, World War II was not conducted according to just war principles. Yeah. It was it was a, a, a deliberate attack on the civilian population of countries like Germany and Japan. So it was fund it was fundamentally immoral. And so take that, Tom Brokaw, and you and your greatest generation. Okay, so it's helpful. It's useful for Catholics to be able to understand the standards of how to conduct ourselves in war, so that we can understand what's moral and what's immoral in war. Absolutely, warfare is not an abrogation. Should not be used as an excuse to abrogate the moral law. No, no way. Okay, but then wouldn't you think that if we're being realistic about it, we have to admit that like no government is going to conduct their war according to Thomas Aquinas's just war theory? I mean, that doesn't happen in reality, right? So isn't it kind of, it, it might be useful as a theory. That's a, cynical, that's a cynical attitude. You shouldn't have, some young lady like you should not have cynical attitudes like that. I'm a realist. I'm a the, realist. Whole point of, the whole point of a Christian witness is to persuade people to follow, follow the moral law, which means when it comes, I'm not a pacifist. I believe that there are certain times when war is justified or necessary, but even in those instances, you have to follow the moral law. Okay, you cannot kill innocent women and children, which is what the United States did with its bombing raids on places like Dresden. If, if a man starts walking towards you with his hands up, you're not allowed to shoot him, which is what we saw in that disgusting movie, uh, Saving Private Ryan. This is Jewish subversion of moral behavior. I mean, it's not just pornography. Saving Private Ryan was a disgusting subversion of moral behavior. Do you think that the just war theory prevents Catholics from engaging in that behavior in war? Like, do you think that it's only the non-Catholics in war that are doing those things? I mean, I'm just talking about, like, on a practical level. Like, what, Are you are you asking me if Catholics are sinners? The answer is yes. 
If a Catholic okay. is to, if a Catholic is ordered to do something immoral, he has to refuse. It's that simple. Okay. All right, that makes sense. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's about it um, for our last uh, for our last podcast. One of my favorite comments that somebody wrote in the comment section was, "This is an interview I can share with my mom." Good. And, <laughs> and I, thought, I thought that was great. I was like, "Yes, Catholics against militarism interviews you can share with your mom." So I yep. hope this is another one that you guys can share with your mom. Um, yeah. So thanks again for your time. I know this went for over an hour, but it's it's always great to talk to you and to get to get your opinion on things. I really appreciate it. Good. My pleasure. Good talking to you, Ellen. God bless. See you later. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>